Podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Take you until noon. Boy, this is a blow. Uh, Tom Bergeron, Aaron Andrews out at Dancing with the Stars. Oh, no. Done. What happened? Don't know. Just uh, the new direction. This is a blow. Are you a fan no, of Dancing with the Stars? No, I couldn't care less. I've never seen it one episode. My wife loves it. Oh. And it ties her up. <laughs> Keeps her busy. Keeps her busy. She loves those two. Uh, boy, oh boy. Oh, man. A dark day. Yeah, it is, Trent. A dark day. Uh, anyways, uh, but this probably was a popular show, I think, right? Wasn't yes, it? yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah. I you ever watch it? No. No. Tara? We, no. No. She doesn't watch much TV when I'm not around. Okay. She's more of a reader. All right. So well, she doesn't have many shows. Just that Grey's Anatomy one that we uh, we joke about from time to time. <laughs> it's like 20 years that thing ran. It's, it's ridiculous. Unbelievable. Oh, big news over the weekend. Uh, you've caught that show a little bit when your wife's watching, right? Which one? Grey's Anatomy? No, I never. Uh, the, the music. The music. At the end, yeah. So the main male character in the beginning stages, the first, I don't know, decade or so. Is that Dreamy? I don't know if it was Steamy or Dreamy, which one of the two. But I've heard of Dreamy. Yes, yeah. There was two. McDreamy and McSteamy. McDreamy, were the, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Derek Shepard was his name on no the show, idea. and he's a famous actor. A well, he left. He left because he wanted to do auto racing and do movies and do different stuff, and they killed him off. <laughs> but now he's back. Well, all of a sudden on the IMDb page, it says the years he was on, and it says through 2020. Yeah. So there's all these, and my wife uh, and her friends, they're texting back and forth and going crazy. Mm-hmm. So, well, maybe we'll have that look forward to. Mm-hmm. Are, are TV shows coming back this I fall? I have no idea. Oh, that's a good question. Well, you know, there was one show that I don't know, I'll probably have to ask Cappy tomorrow. Uh, we both watched the show Billions. Yeah, yeah. Although it stunk this year. Just awful. Oh, that's... Yeah, just yeah. terrible. It's kind of like Dan, uh, uh, Game of Thrones. The final season was just... They made us wait two years, and then that's what they gave us. <laughs> but it was. But they stopped in the middle of the season. Like, they got five episodes in or six, mm-hmm. and then they stopped filming because it was filmed in New York. Right. But this is a great question, Trent. Normally the time, maybe... Uh, well, I guess I was trying to think of anybody in our, you know, we have any TV people. We talked to John O'Ran from Sports Business Journal, yeah, but that's yeah, not really his. Yeah, his, it's not his strength. No, we don't. Neither is this our strength. <laughs> no, not at all. But, I mean, there's still shows that I like and to think that well, right now well, they're they certainly not Well, they took one of my favorites off, a live PD. I mean, live, I get why they did. Yes, yeah. As long as they don't take the first 48 off. But I'm into Swamp People now. You got the Swamp People. I'm, the Mountain Men are going through their show. There can't be many episodes left of that, but... Uh, uh, the Swamp People will get me through this. Anyways, we're going to have baseball Shoot next it. week. Shoot it. <laughs> That's right. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. That was really good. That's my Creole mm-hmm. coming through from time to time. Would you do that, by the way? Oh, God, no. I, think I, mean, I don't even like fun. fishing. Because touching, touching the worm and the fish, oh, it doesn't even get me going. You're missing, I'm going to gator. Yeah, no I chance. Mean, that's one of the things I miss. Maybe there's not a very long list I miss about where I grew up, especially now in the summertime mm-hmm. it's there's just so many lakes and there's so many fish in every single one of them there's fish here yeah but it's not like this well i mean you guys go to the lake because there actually is the the 
Anyways. There's some lakes. Nah, not very many. Anyways, um, if you've ever fished in Canada, you know what I'm talking about. And I think a lot of our listeners probably have Different made their level. way up. It is. It really and truly is. So, uh, so Gary Swenson uh, joined us, head coach of Valley. I love talking to Gary. Yeah, I do too. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of Gary Swenson. I have a lot of respect for him. He's mm-hmm. been doing it a long time. You know, how about Jerry Pizzetti um, at Ankeny? Jerry's pushing 80. Right, yeah. Does he want to stand on the sideline? I saw uh, Dowling it has one of their football camps going on right now. I think it's their offensive line co- uh, camp. And Andy Pollock, who I know up there, who is their offensive line coach. And it was a picture. And I think it might have been Coach Williams, Dowling, who's been yeah, there. Jim for, Williams. Who's probably in that same age yeah. range. And had his mask on as he was mm-hmm. sitting there and you know putting some guys through some drills. But when you're talking about those older coaches, mm-hmm. we heard these stories before baseball and softball season began. There's a story over from the Gazette that was talking to a coach that says he wakes oh, up every day. Oh, by the way, remember, I was, uh, Dubuque Senior lost Dubuque their senior. senior. There's, there's another one as, well. as yeah. that list continues to yeah. grow. And, you know, the coaches said, the, one of the coaches said he wakes up every day not sure, sure if he's going to go to practice, go to the game. Uh-huh. It's just kind of you wrestle with that every single day. And there's got to be a lot of coaches mm-hmm. that are going through that exact same thing as we gear up for football. And now you're talking about baseball, a varsity team has, what, 15 kids? Mm-hmm. Three coaches, unless you're Johnson, they got like 12, but (laughs) three, four coaches maybe at the most. You're talking about, all told, a maximum of 25 probably people involved. Football, Mm. Dowling, Valley, Southeast Polk, they got 60, 70, 80 kids on the varsity Uh squad, plus 10, 12, 15 coaches over there. The numbers are tough, a lot Trent. different. It's going to be tough. And Coach Swenson said, look, any football is better. I, th- I think they're going to try and start, but we'll see. I know that there's going to be meetings mm-hmm. above their head. And Gary was right. You know, It's not just going to be a Valley plan. Right. They're going to be told what their plan is going to be and how they're going to try and, uh, and pull this off, if they're going to be able to pull it off. Do you have a... I mean, I know that you were you came in today kind of down. You, I you was. don't think college football? You're back into that, and it's, after yesterday, it's hard not to think mm-hmm. that way. Um, but you, you know, what, by the end of the week, I might be back the other side. Mm-hmm. And haven't we done this for four months now? Essentially, yeah, yeah. Essentially, I think we've done a good job. When you're down, I try to pick you up. Yeah. When I'm down, you try to pick me back up. But it, it's difficult to see the path now, and, and that story and. We talked about this at the top of the show with Pete Thamel and the guys from Yahoo reading through that. It is it is dark days. This is ultimately what it come back to. Financially, they can't survive. They That's just it, Trent. They're they can't do- survive at the college level right. without college football. There's a reason that they call it king football. Mm-hmm. And here's another example of why king football is king football. They just The other sports can't survive without the king. Or it's going to be very difficult to do. And well, there won't and be as many that do survive, if any. Let's play this out and imagine, all right, they're going to try to play in spring. Logistically, it's going to be impossible. Well, we'll see. And then by the time we get to February, March, all right, start practicing. Well, you still can't. And then you're pushing it back. And then the stories come out. Scholarships. There are no scholarships for 2021-22 for anybody at the college level. Mm. You think about those stories and the disadvantaged young men and women that their only way to go to college is to have a scholarship, and that is taken away, and how terrible that's going to be. Colleges in general, for school presidents, football is one one-hundredth of the problem that they have to worry how about, about right college now. college towns in general? Yes, them staying afloat. Losing those football Saturdays, losing basketball games, losing 20,000, 30,000 different young people coming to campus. Mm-hmm. Think of the people that are own apartment complexes, right. own those houses that are rented out by college kids yes. for the year. 
they're going to be upside mm-hmm. down very, very That's quickly. A great point. The trickle down effect that this creates doesn't Hunziker seemingly own everything in Ames? <laughs> right? Yeah, I think they do. Yeah, and there's those people in every single city that yeah. you go to, every college town. There is a group. There is maybe an individual person, but owns so much of that property. If they're vacant, mm. they're going under because they still have to pay those mortgages. Never even thought about that, Trent. Never they're did. going away. The importance of all of this, getting them back. There's so many people that are not going to pay full tuition for their kids again to sit no. in their basement and go to a couple classes online for 45 minutes and oh, there's your day. Not going to do that. You're going to no. pay full tuition. You're going to pay student fees. You're going to pay for the gym on campus. You're going to pay for the rec center. You're not going to pay for because you're not even going to be on campus. That's what school presidents, I think, are worrying about most. And that was one part, maybe the pushback that I had to the Thamel piece, the school presidents. Athletics. They have so many bigger things to worry about right now than athletics. Just universities as a whole staying solvent. What, what do you mean when the president said that they will? There's no way we will play in the winter. Is that yeah. that's not what you're referring to? I agree with you, Trent. They will play in January and February if that's where they're pushed to. If they that's all they to. can do, right? They will do it. I, I'm totally with you. Yeah, but I, uh, the piece that you're referring to, YahooSports.com, Pete Thamel said he's talked to presidents, and presidents do not want this. Well, of course they don't. Right. Nobody wants gonna this. They're going to be forced to do it. Nobody wants COVID. No. We want it to go away. It's not. Uh, we're going to uh, go away from this topic and talk about uh, golf with our friend Matt Rudy from GolfDigest.com. There is golf to take place this weekend. There has been the last few weekends. This one just seems a little bigger. I wonder why. The sixth major. The memorial. Yes. I'm dubbing it that. I, I think we should. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people tuning into this uh, thing, especially if the red shirt is out on Sunday in one of the final groups. Uh, KXNO and iHeartRadio want to help you pay your bills. Text the keyword SMILE to 200-200 right now. Your chance to win $1,000. SMILE to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, joins us next. Miller and Condon till noon. We're going to talk some white socks here in about a half, well, not even about 20 minutes, as we take you until noon on 1460 KXNO and 106. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, with you here until noon. Do some White Sox coming up as we try and go around the local teams. Only a couple more left, White Sox and the Brew Crew. We're going to talk some golf right now. Just feels like it's different this weekend. Uh, Tigers playing. Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, joins us. Uh, doesn't it feel different to you, Matt, or maybe it's just me, but it's, uh, this tournament, and it's been great to have golf on, don't get me wrong, uh, but it just feels like this weekend's going to take it up a notch. How are you, first of all, and do you, do you get the same feeling I do? I'm okay, and uh, I guess I get the same feeling you do within reason because I think everything feels different. I mean, this whole, yeah, this whole thing has been different. Um, so, so on the scale of different, it's yeah, it's a, it's. I think it's always interesting to see what happens when Tiger comes back. And but, but I have to say the the, the caliber of play and the excitement and the finishes. I mean, you have. I mean, what more could you ask for if you're not going to have Tiger? But but to have Bryce and DeChambeau yeah. come and do the Hulk thing and, and <laughs> the finish this past week was amazing with. 
with all the young players coming up. And um, I think, and, and I know I've talked about this before on your show, the best you could have is to have Tiger Woods be around and relevant and then have a bunch of young and interesting players do cool stuff and have them have different personalities. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what we've been getting. And then this week you add in the Tiger piece, and it's one more good jazz for. So Tiger gets ready to play. We saw him in the exhibition match with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning out there. And Phil, uh, what was that, a month and a half ago or so. But since then, and going back, we haven't seen Tiger. There were speculation that we'd see him earlier here. Where is he at health-wise? We won't ultimately know, certainly until we see him tee it up on Thursday. But what do you know about Tiger and where he is with his health? I think the the best anyone could ask for in Tiger's shoes would to be, I mean, leaving aside the whole pandemic part, which obviously is hard to do, but um, the best he could ask for is to have these stretches of time where he doesn't have week in and week out grind of tournaments. Mm-hmm. So um, assuming he doesn't have some underlying health issue, which from all indications are he doesn't, he looked really limber and good practicing today and, um, this is great because it lets him be in control of his environment, lets him get the workouts in that he likes to get, lets him relax and spend time with his kids. And uh, the only downside I can see to all this is that the season, the way it's currently configured, is super compressed at the end. So if he's going to play in the events that he traditionally plays in, there's a lot of events in a row week in, week out, and that's that's not conducive to, to what he's got going on with his back. But right now he should be in uh, – Find physical form. It'll just be the, a question of if you know what, what happens with rust, and, and that's always hard to predict with him because he is a guy who's used to taking break, uh, so he knows the drill. And this is a course he loves. It'll just be a question: you know, how long does it take to you know, some of that fine short game touch stuff to come back to where we started, and just how different things feel playing without fans. I think we've all grown used to it here over the last couple of months and just watching a tournament and getting to hear the guys and not hearing the oohs and ahs and the ah oh, as a putt goes by. Tiger, though, is an emotional player. Bigger impact than most guys, him not having fans out there, or is this better ultimately for Tiger Woods? Uh, I think your your point you made earlier is a good one, which is that it's weird. So I don't know if it's better or worse. I, I know that I mean, Tiger gets more, you know, people poking at him and frowning him and hollering at him than anybody. <laughs> and I know that's not always fun, but I also know that, that he's, that's something he's used to. So it, I, it might be like playing, you know, an NBA player who has, you know, 20,000 people hollering at him while he's trying to make a free throw. The most effective thing you might be able to do is just to go totally quiet because that would be disorienting. So um, I think being inside the bubble is going to be, uh, it's going to be nice. I, you know, it's gonna, I think that that's going to be refreshing to have a little solitude. Um, and and I, I think traditionally he doesn't have any trouble with adrenaline. I think the the bigger factor is going to be uh, is the golf course set up the way it traditionally is. There are some pretty low scores last week, uh, and, and Memorial has not traditionally been a place that gives up scores that easily. That that's going to be the bigger factor, and, and I think that's the factor really for the rest of the year too. Because as you move these tournaments later in the year than normal, there isn't anybody. I mean, Tiger's built-in advantage at the Masters is he's played more rounds there than almost anyone. But now they're going to be playing it in a whole different month when everything is different, and that built-in uh, that home course advantage that he has from playing all these events so many times. 
isn't what it was. I think that's going to be the bigger factor. Will uh, some of the PGA players try to, I guess, copy what the Chambo has done to his body and the way that he, you know, so aggressively off the tee, swinging as hard as he does? Will will this become? You know, it seems like the NFL, a copycat league, right? We hear about that all the time. Will guys on the PGA try and replicate what Shambo has been doing and the success he's had doing it? I think the biggest thing that they'll replicate is the willingness to go for it. I think it's hard. The body stuff, I mean, it's a challenge to, to do what he's done with his body. you got to give the guy credit. I mean, all of us, I'm sure, during quarantine talked about eating better and getting in better shape. He actually decided to to change his body and he did it so i think the 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 body part i think there'll be varying levels of of commitment to getting bigger and stronger but i think what dechambeau is proving is that if you are committed and you have good overall swing mechanics he's proving that the odds get more in your favor if you're willing to hit it you know way past the trouble and i think that the risk avoidance that a lot of players have played with I think they're discovering that they can get away with a little bit more pushing the gas a little bit more off the tee. Now, now that's going to make some uh, you know t- traditionalist cringe because it's going to render some of these golf courses obsolete. But I give a guy credit for using game theory and saying, "Hey, what really is the risk for me to to do to do it a different way?" Uh, going to some of the other names in the field. Last week it was a great back and forth with Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa. Want to get your thoughts on Morikawa, a young guy, 23, not a bomber by any means. We're not talking about DeChambeau firing it out there, 380. This is a guy that relies more on the iron. what you just said. Yeah, he's just <laughs> completely different level. He's a young, one of the young guns up and coming. How big of a star can he be? How big does he have the upside of some of these other guys just because of driving and the length off the tee that maybe limits him long term or just how great he can be? Or do you see it with him? Uh, the big challenge for him is uh, putting. You know, he, he almost missed a two-footer that won yes. the tournament last week. And you can get away with some of that when you hit it. I think I think he hit four approach shots inside five feet on Sunday. And the day before, he hit two approach shots from more than 200 yards inside 10 feet. And that level of ball striking makes you somebody who's, who's going to be a, a factor, even if you putt mediocre. And the thing about Morikawa, too, and, and it's really so true about Victor Hovland, another great young player, is, is you love to see when players are willing to figure out what's, what's missing in their game and go find it and fix it. Hovland is a terrible chipper, and he immediately went out and found Pat Goss, you know, a coach at Northwestern, a guy who coaches Luke Goddard, who has one of the greatest short games anywhere, and said, hey, show me what I need to do to be a better chipper. And I, and I think the same is true when you talk about a player like Morikawa. What's really hard is to teach the caliber of ball striking that he has. And there, there isn't, there aren't, there aren't two players on the tour who can hit the ball like he can with his irons and the precision that he hits it. Uh, and if he can add those other pieces, I mean, the guy's already won twice against one missed cut in his career. So I mean, Jeez. he's already showing people what he can do. And I think the the the, the sky is the limit. Uh, the caveat is, like you said, the distance, but I think he's in the category of players who hits it far enough, for sure. Uh, Matt Rudy from Golf Digest is our guest as we talk golf. Uh, will Nicholas be there at, at all, at any point during this weekend, do you think, Matt? Um, I mean, we usually see him on the 18th hole waiting for the guys uh, to come off the green. Does he risk that at, at his age, do you think? 
it's such a good question because if it were me, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, because of the technology that's available, I think you can you can do things. I mean, speaking as someone who's done you know seven hundred Zoom meetings in the last three months, <laughs> right? I think there are ways to uh, to accommodate that without putting yourself at risk. The other thing I do know is that the tour is doing rigorous testing of everybody all the time, all over the place. So if you're going to be somewhere, I mean, nowhere is as safe as your house, wherever, where you know where everyone's been. But the second safest place might be inside the bubble at a PJ Tour event. Matt Rudy joining us from Golf Digest. Matt, your day-to-day work, it's obviously so much different what you're used to doing right here. Has it proven to be more difficult in, in coming up with stories, talking with guys, and just overall, you mentioned all those Great Zoom meetings. Video. It's it's a different <laughs> world that we're living in, Matt Rudy. How's it been for you? You know, weirdly, some elements of it have been easier. Uh, there are a lot of people that are way easier to get a hold of now. Oh, yeah. If you're trying to do stuff with coaches, coaches aren't as busy because there, there just aren't as many people taking lessons in some parts of the country, so that part of it is easier. The tour part of it, uh, it the, the access to players, and, and and rightfully so, there aren't a lot of people volunteering to have a bunch of strangers show up at their house or show up at their course and do photo shoots and video shoots. So that's been a lot more difficult. And we've had a little bit of a window here up in the Northeast where we could where we could see people socially, you know, ten feet away or six feet away. Hartford, you know, there there have been some places we could do it, but the trending looks like that's just going to get more difficult as time goes on uh and, and this is where the advantage comes from from contacts you know having relationships in place with players and coaches it's you know when you can call somebody up who, who you've done a bunch of things with before uh, and they they kind of know and trust you i mean you're i think you're going to get it farther than you know some of the outlets that never bothered to to make those kinds of connections so I, i've been super busy there's there's lots of players and coaches that want to do stuff the, the the functional problem is is having photo and video crews set up and and and, and doing any kind of large scale shoots and and I have no idea how that's going to come back. I'm I'm trying to stay optimistic though. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Uh, last thing for you, give us a couple of names, Matt. Uh, will we be watching? Uh, you know, Mickelson's played well. Obviously, uh, fell apart uh, late. Kind of reminded me of Fred Couples the way his career got. Remember, he was always after 36 holes. He was in contention only to fall out of it. I uh, hope Mickelson's not in that boat, but he was a couple of weeks ago. Is it going to be a big name that uh, prevails this weekend, or one of those uh, uh, young up and comers? Will Gordon's story fascinated me a couple of weeks back at the Travelers, knowing what he was up against just to keep his card. He had to finish third or better, and miraculously. He was able to pull it out in the on the final hole. Um, a household name or a newcomer win this weekend? Well, I think I would look for a ball hitter. You know, someone who's and you see you saw the three guys at the top of the leaderboard last week. Same course: Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland, and Colin Morikawa. All three of those guys are elite ball hitters on the tour. Meaning they 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 hit they don't hit crooked shots. And um, I think you're going to have to be a striker to do it and and that rewards players like that uh and and you know Bryson DeChambeau is in that mode too where when you're when you want to find guys that can do that go to the strokes gain key to green stat and if you scroll your way down the top 10 in that stat you're going to find the the players that do a lot of plays like this and that's traditionally been Tiger's forte too so um I'm going to go for someone who plays a precision game and isn't visiting the the rough you know the the secondary areas around the golf course 
Um, so I'm going to go with someone that whose name you heard of but isn't necessarily a superstar. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Matt Rudy, do you know what this Tiger's schedule is going to be? I mean, he's got to play before the PGA, I would assume, right? Uh, that, that's a good question. I, I, I it's all he goes week to week now because it's really dependent on the status the the virus status of the of the locale mm-hmm. um i mean you got to think that he's going to play in the pga and you got to think he's going to play in the us open and the masters and and beyond that it's 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 hard to say people have been following his yacht around to see if that was an indicator mm-hmm. of where he was going to play or um and, you know making all kinds of guesses but um i i don't think anybody here this year, the players quite know how many events they can play in a given month, just because of the the strain on the process. It, you know, it, it takes more energy just to play in one tournament because of the testing you have to do and the caution that you have to have with your you know, where you go and what you do. So I think the normal schedule is out the window because I think some players are just going to need more rest. We'll talk to you the week of the PGA, if not before, Matt Rudy. Thank you for what you do for us. Uh, be safe. You bet. See ya. Thank, uh, good to talk to you. Matt Rudy, uh, Golf Digest. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Big I, names on the, at least uh-huh. they're teeing it up this weekend. You know, Kepka, that Maybe. guy, he misses the cut. I had him in fantasy last week, so mm-hmm. that's why I'm ticked off about that. But for a guy that is as talented as him, and he has the just doesn't care attitude some weeks, yeah. where you can tell from the get-go, he's just he's looking to crash and the Dustin Johnson, and, yes, and their best yeah. of friends. Two peas in a Happy pod, right? Happy go lucky. Yeah. Indeed. Just going uh, we, out there, playing golf, and eh, if it goes well, it goes well, unless it's a major. What a then life. they care. Yeah, they do. And we've got one coming up, I think, August 6th. Is that what it is? August 6th through the 9th. In San Fran? San Fran. Yep. Left coast. So that'll be uh, some late night. Look at that. We'll have baseball on. We'll have a major. Yes, yes we will, Trent. We'll have preseason football. Yes, we will, Okay, Trent. okay. Yes, we will. Let's go. Here we go. <laughs> Here till noon, White Sox conversation. We're previewing all the locals, White Sox and then Brewers, and we'll have completed uh, what we promised we're going to do. We're back after this as we continue on 1460 KXNO and 106. Ash. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, Miller and Condon, welcome back to Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Final segment, as Trent and I promised to do, we're going around all the air quote local teams in Major League Baseball. We've got through the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Royals, the Twins, the Brewers still to go. And, uh, well, let's uh, scratch the White Sox off that list, shall we? James Fagan covers them for The Athletic, and he joins us. James Trent Condon, my name's Ken Miller. Thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm pretty good. You guys covering all the teams that are blacked out in Ireland? <laughs> you saw the list. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a good topic here. Uh, it to frustrates a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Now, Ken and I are both DirecTV subscribers, so we get every team if you get the sports pack. I think it's a great thing, but for people with MLB TV or the app, yeah, you get blacked out. and makes it a little more difficult to see the local teams. If you're a Yankee fan, if you're a Giant fan, you're good. If you like anybody in the Midwest, though, you're kind of out of luck, and especially in this baseball season where that's all they're playing is teams in the Midwest. Yeah, I mean, who, who, 
Why, why would Iowa fans like these teams in right. the West? It boggles the mind. It really does. And this is a year that I think a lot of people want to watch this White Sox team. I'm yeah. one of them. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have David Kaplan on. We uh, will pick his brain as to who the, he thinks the best team in Chicago is going to be. I'm not so sure it's the North Siders. Uh, White Sox are hot on their heels. There's a lot of talent on that team. But I want to start with one guy who's not going to play that was part of that young talent. Uh, Michael Kopech opting out. Uh, missed uh, a big chunk of last year with uh, with Tommy John. What's behind Kopech opting out? He's not alone. Uh, as a, there's a number of uh, MLB players not going to play this year. Uh, Kopech not playing. What's behind it, do you think, James? Uh, from what I've been told from from his camp was it's kind of a, a but it's it's kind of like a a list of reasons that all kind of center around the uncertainty and anxiety of the season. It, it's a little bit like he's not medically high risk himself, but he has to worry about his family and like you can't speak of that. You can't say the same thing for your parents and grandparents and in laws that they're all uh, you know not as they're not all you know twenty something athletes at top of condition. So he has to worry about that a little bit. The fact that he is coming back from Tommy John surgery, they were going to have this really measured plan for him to come back. He was going to like not, he was probably going to skip most of the most first month of the season so they could limit his innings. He was going to pitch every five days and be on a really measured rest schedule. So the idea of coming back and being in this rotation that's now a little overloaded and maybe working every other day and maybe bouncing around between starting rotation and the bullpen, they just thought that was like not really the not really how they wanted to reintroduce him, and the fact that it was only a three-week spring training, they didn't know if he was going to necessarily be ready for the start of the season physically or if he'd be able to, to manage that and whether he ramped up really quickly was like a, a, the best idea for him physically. Um, so I wouldn't say anything is the like one reason why he didn't do it, but it's just kind of a list of concerns and uncertainties about the season. And he's ultimately, he's not only uh, turning down money, but he's not accumulating service time to do this. So in effect, the White Sox are still going to wind up getting five more full seasons of him by him doing this. So there is a bit of sacrifice on his part to do it. So I, I guess that lends a little bit more um, credence to reasons that seem a little fuzzy right now, but they're also expecting at some point Michael is going to comment on it and probably give a more full and, and uh, representative uh, explanation than just what's been out from uh, people close to him. You know, Kopech, he has talked a lot in the past about suffering from anxiety and depression. That's certainly, you'd have to figure at least some kind of factor that plays into it here. You as a beat reporter, that component of it, it's not something you can measure. It's nothing statistically. It's not health. It's something different. How difficult is that for you, reporting on things like that, talking about things like that, even as Kopech has been out front and talking about those issues? It's difficult in the sense that without talking to him, I just don't know how fair it is to really speculate on it. I don't think it's really, like, I can't speak to it uh, at all. And, and, you know, traditionally it's been pretty easy to, to talk about it because Michael's been very upfront about it. Michael would be the first person that said that the reason he struggled uh, the middle of the year in 2018 is that he was having anxiety and he was the pressure that he was putting on himself to perform to get to the major leagues because he was expected to be somebody who just rapidly got up there that that really kind of held him back and that kind of made him have a bit of a breakdown. He said his words in 2018. So it's never been hard to really kind of address it with Michael, but without him commenting on it, because he has declined to kind of speak on it on the record immediately now, I just felt like it would be out of place to kind of speculate. I can't say that mental health is not a factor because in 2020, everyone's mental right. health is not the best yeah. it's ever been. So mm-hmm. I, I can't say it's not a factor, but I, I, it, it's not really 
a position where I could say, yes, that's what's affecting the decision right now. Well, well, let's get to the guys we know are going to be on the field. Let me ask it this way. If Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert were a stock and you could only buy one, Ooh. you buying stock in Jimenez or Robert? Well, I guess it's a, uh, it's, it's, what kind of investor are you? Are you trying to make sure you're, you don't bankrupt your family with some ups and downs and just want to make sure that like it's a steady rise and that you have your nest egg that's slowly accumulating? Then I'd say Eloy Menes. That dude's going to hit. That's going to be a very stable base of production for him. And maybe he's not going to be the guy who provides you a ton of value in defense or becomes like an absolute like MVP level dude. But that's the guy who's going to be an above average hitter probably. You know, until he gets into his mid or to late thirties, when that kind of falls off. If you're looking to get rich really quickly, I would say invest in Luis Robert because that's a guy who has you know something approaching like a gold glove level ceiling as far as his yeah. defensive center field. Someone who could steal twenty to thirty bases if everything breaks right for him, and could be a big time power hitter and somebody who even hits for average since he's in the minors. I don't know if that's all going to happen for him right away. I also don't know if. Everything offensively is going to click for him, period, because he's got a very aggressive approach that probably will run into some resistance when he gets against major league competition. So it's a bit, he's a bit more boom or bust, especially in his rookie year. But I would say he's got the higher ceiling. So if you're trying to basically quit your job and retire by your 30, invest in Luis Robert. If you just want a mutual fund that's going to pay out when you retire, that's no way in Love what this team did in the offseason, the way that they built, bringing in a lot of bats. Of course, uh, the catcher position, solid now with Grandall back there. What they did in the outside outside with Mazzara in right field. And, of course, Edwin Encarnacion hitting bombs all over the place. The concern still sits, at least for me, in that bullpen. How confident are the White Sox that they have that figured out? And, of course, they'll have some extra arms to throw out there in the bullpen with the expanded rosters. But a look at the back thing of the of that team and probably the biggest question mark, I'd say, coming into the year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that uh, for the most part. I mean, I think some parts of the rotation, even the guys you think are probably talented, like Dylan Cease and Ronald Lopez, I would argue, like, they haven't been that above-average guy in the majors yet. So there's a bit of uncertainty there. But the bullpen, is it, it's very much a um, the yeoman-type group. It's a much more pitch to contact, try to get ground balls. It's not like a lot of fireball. It's not a lot of guys who are going to like make campaigns to go, go to the all-star team or anything like that. So it, it's definitely a little shaky, and it's definitely a, where things can go wrong because it's just not a, a group that misses bats at a high rate. They have a little bit um, available in the minor leagues, or not minor leagues, but their, their prospect depth here to, to call upon, like Cody Hewer throws a 99 with good sinkers, and uh, you know they got their former first round pick Zach Birdie should probably be available at their second site. Um, and Tyler Johnson is in camp; he's a, he's another nice uh, young reliever. I don't know if those guys can really come up and be stars, but they are a little bit of, of young reinforcements that they might use at some point this year. But yeah, it's a it's definitely a, a bend but not break bullpen, and I, I think you're right on that. It's not the strength of the team. Uh, it seems uh, that the Twins are the team to beat in the AL Central. They're so loaded. But it's it's where I sit, I think the White Sox are the team to fear. I think the Indians' window may be closed or certainly may be open just to crack, but it's, it doesn't look like the team that they once were. Would you agree that uh, that the White Sox may be that, that team that's going to push the Twins as opposed to the Indians this year? I mean, the thing I like about the Indians is the pitching depth and their ability to kind of bring up guys who are decent mid-rotation starters uh, from their system very consistently, even if they're not very heralded. I don't know if that's as useful of a skill in a two-month season than it would be in a six-month mm-hmm. season when you're expecting to lose guys and the fact that you can kind of just keep churning out number three, number four starters uh, 
that, that's not quite as a, a great a trick in a 60-game sprint. I think the White Sox are definitely a team that, you know, you look at them and you ask, if it all goes right, they're kind of scary. Yeah. I think they have they probably have the highest ceiling as far as, like, if all their young players really kind of make a quick adjustment or just ambush the league before the league can really adjust to them, that, they, yeah, they're a team that could push the Twins, and the Twins are probably thinking about long-term more than uh, Cleveland right now because Cleveland's obviously going through all the things with, you know, is Lindor going to be traded? Are they basically going to be right. building pretty soon? So it's about whether the White Sox window opens up a year earlier or a year, two years earlier than you really are fearing. And if that happens, yes, they could challenge the Twins, but I would still probably uh, you know pick Minnesota if I was there. If I was investing, uh, as we put earlier. James, you're uh, at Guaranteed Rate Field right now watching the team go through their workouts, the inner squad uh, scrimmages that they've been having. And what's been your takeaway? It's completely different than what you're used to. It's summer training. It's not spring training. And there are no games between the different teams. How this has gone, and at least your vantage point, is you've watched the White Sox now over the last week and a half. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to gauge how much of it means. Uh, you know, you're, you're watching, uh, you know, definitely low-intensity competition, and, and you're only really just starting to see starters get worked out. And even Lucas Giglio yesterday was telling us about how he probably threw way more curveballs than than uh, he usually would just as, for the sake of practice. So it's almost like spring training in the sense of like how much of what am I seeing is really real and how much of it really uh, translates. But if some of it does, and I would say then the Luis Roberts thing was good because he's a guy who's kind of physically exerting his will on the game, as not to the same degree, but in a way that's similar to what I saw when I watched him in double-A and triple-A. If he can do that, if he can do that immediately, then yeah, that raises the White Sox feeling a great deal and that that probably changes your expectations for them a little bit to, to be a team that really pushes the twins. Right now, I probably still put them in a, a team that wins like, you know, 32 to 35 games in a 60 game schedule, but, you know, maybe they get hot and they can really push that a, a little bit farther. Uh, Dallas Keuchel certainly looked good on the weekend. I think he had a bunch of strikeouts. Uh, uh, will we see him again? This, I mean, I'm sure we'll see him in an inter squad game at some point this week. Just your impression of what you saw from Keuchel uh, this past weekend and going forward, what he can mean to this team uh, behind Giolito in the rotation. I mean, I think he's a guy who, you know, has to be trusted to give him a lot of innings. You know, there's a lot of guys, you know, and Lopez and to some degree Giolito who are strikeout oriented pitchers who are guys who if their command is a little off and maybe you see them having outings where there's 100 pitches in the fifth inning or something like that. Cycle's a guy who works very quickly who gets quick outs who uh, you know, doesn't necessarily pitch the contact but is somebody who is going to be like I'm going to challenge you and you can either ground us into the dirt or you can let it pass by for a strike but we're going to get the bat over with. So he's a guy you expect to get you um, you know, even if they're just being stretched out six to seven innings really quickly and rest the bullpen. I think he's that sort of steady force of, of, of somebody who's going to log his innings and, and give the bullpen a break every time out, even if he is getting hit a little bit harder than, than normal. Last time out, he looked great. He was also a guy who's famous for nicking the corners in an interest club game where the catcher was calling to strike. So <laughs> he probably had a little bit of benefit. Yeah. I don't think he would uh, turn down pitching in that environment going forward. But, yeah, he, he looked like as advertised, which is obviously what you're hoping when you got, get a guy who's uh, you know entering his 30s. And you, you don't want to see him uh, you know struggling in spring and suggesting that it's the downside of his career, but that he looked like the genuine article. They certainly look like they're going to be a fun team to cover for the next few years after some downtimes on the south side. The White Sox window is opening up. James Fagan covers them for The Athletic. We appreciate you coming on, James. Thank you for doing this for us. 
All right, no problem, as long as I wasn't gasping in my mask too much. <laughs> no, you sounded good. Didn't yep. even know you were wearing it. But glad you are, nonetheless. Yes. Thanks, James. Good to talk to you. James Fagan uh, from The Athletic. I I think they're the team the Twins have to beat. I'm with you. The Indians, the stars and scrubs that they have, I'm not a believer over 60 games that this is going to be a team. Can Lindor throw them on their back for Mm. a month? He can. He's He's that talented. Will he be around with the trade deadline pushback? Uh, That's a big question, too. Here are the odds to win the division. Twins are the favorite. Minus 150. Jeez. Indians the second choice at three to one. Okay, you can get the White Sox three and a half, three twenty-five. Okay, Royals hundred to one, <laughs> Tigers hundred twenty-five to one. I, I might throw I, a nickel on uh, on the Royals. Why? Because it's a sixty-game schedule. Yeah. Well, we've seen them before. Yes, we've seen it before. Payne had that team in first place. In after Labor Day, because the Twins are the choice. Here. Oh, without but at a that doubt. price, I'm without, not going to no, do you it. You can't play them at that. And price. I don't like the Indians and the White Sox. The prices there out. So if I had to make a bet, you think you bet the fire at the Royals? Huh? Couldn't go with the Royals. All right, a little magic down south. Uh, I think that uh, Sean Roberts and Emery Songer both do enjoy baseball over the next few years a lot more than they have the past few years. I think their team is going to be good, Trent. I agree with you. Yeah. This is there's some young talent on that squad, to say are. the least. Need some bullpen help. And yeah. like he mentioned, that rotation maybe you know the names, but Cease, we'll see. Lopez. Gio Gonzalez. Ugh, I hate Gio Gonzalez. <laughs> I like Dallas. Not Keuchel. as a person. No, right. He is the slowest it's working pitcher. To Get him a pitch clock. Yeah, wear Nobody com- else. Wear comfortable clothes. <laughs> uh Murph and Andy coming in at two o'clock. The Fanatics will follow suit at four morning rush back on your radio tomorrow at six AM. We're Miller and Condon, weekdays ten to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty and one oh six point three FM.